0: Perhaps one of the stranger things to grace this natural world, neither plant nor animal, it stands in a class all its own, coming in colors, patterns, shapes, and sizes that would give the most creative science fiction writer a run for their money. And that, of course, is the noble mushroom, spreading their spores across this earth for more than 800 million years. This fungi functions as a necessary partner to many plants and animal species in the natural world, as well as everything from sustenance, recreation, medication, and toxin for us. Let me share with you this week three tales of mysterious mycelium. As always, I'm Rocket Fox. Join me as we embrace the strange. A couple points of note before we really get started. Just as a heads up going in this week, our last story will deal with mushrooms in the body. Nothing too graphic or intense, but we will be dealing with the post-death process. So, just a heads up in case it's a sensitive topic for you. The other point being that I wanted to send out a huge bit of love to Dawn of the Ginger, who in one of my favorite places on the internet, the Witches vs. Patriarchy sub on Reddit, had shared that they love the podcast. Thank you so much, Dawn of the Ginger. It is such a joy to have your ear. And for everyone, this means you. Make sure to stick around for just a moment during my usual send-off for some exciting Patreon info. And without further ado, our first story... There are times in natural history museums when various pieces may get stored and, after a time of no new movement or research on them, overlooked. Such was the case of a Belgian museum with a set of seemingly innocuous fossils. Initially collected from Canada, they hadn't seemed of particular mind-shattering interest. No notable bones, recognizable structures... That is until Corentin Lorne of the University of Liège in Belgium led an international team of scientists to metaphorically dust off the fossils and give them a much closer look. And perhaps literally, I'm not really sure how dusty the fossils were. For a little background, one of the capital B big questions surrounding the journey of life on this planet has been the timeline When did multi-celled organisms begin to make their way from the ooze of the ancients and first step onto the path of modernity, i.e. land? The answer to that question would be during the Paleozoic Era, which kicked off at a staggering 541 million years ago. But Rocket Fox, you may wonder if you were listening oh so closely to the cold open. You said... Mushrooms have been around for over 800 million years. And, as of Lauren and their team's discovery, which only took place in January of 2020, that is the new word on the street. That's right. The team found that these fossils revealed mushrooms. And not only that, but mushrooms dating back to the Neo-Proterozoic era. And that would clock them in at between a mighty 900 million to 1 billion years ago. They named these precious fungi Orosphyra giraldae. Now, with this discovery and better fossil testing, other mushroom fossils, such as collected some time ago from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, have been reassessed and discovered to contain some samples that are possibly as old. And this is big news for a lot of reasons. Not only does it force scientists to adjust the big picture timeline of evolution of life, it answers a few conundrums that have been plaguing researchers' minds as well. You see, scientists had previously found that fungus was around when plants first began to, well, plant themselves. However, there was just one little problem. A little something called a molecular clock. Essentially what it is, is a technique that looks at the mutation rate of biomolecules in DNA to figure out when along the prehistory timeline that particular species of life diverged. All of this to say that while fossils showed plants emerging around 500 to 600 million years ago, the molecular clock showed fungi DNA as having been around for much much longer. Say, about one billion years. Which, according to this new find, is just about right. Another interesting aspect of the find is that it supports other research that begins to tell the tale of how big a role fungi played in the movement between organisms from water to land. These recent mushroom fossils have been found in transitional areas between water and land. And, says Steve Bonneville, geologist from Université Libre de Bruxelles in Belgium, quote, leads us to believe these mushrooms were important partners of the first plants that colonized the Earth's surface around 500 million years ago. At the end of the day, it truly tells us so much about our own origins, and past, and, at least in some very fundamental way, may shed some light on what it means to be alive, or at least where the journey has taken us. story takes a look at mushrooms in the world in which we live now as many of you will no doubtedly be aware resource usage climate change and an increasingly growing population means that it is vital we take steps to conserve what we have available make smart choices and do what we can to keep our world healthy perhaps even improve the state we've gotten to stares meaningfully Well, as it turns out, mushrooms to the rescue again. To really understand the design and waste management prospects of this magnificent mush, it's important to first take a look at how they work. Fun side fact, in doing my research for this topic, if you Google, how does a mushroom work, you will get a lot of articles about how magic mushrooms work on your brain, And not so many on how mushrooms of all varieties function like the little plant creatures that they are. Even though that seems like such a straightforward question. Anyway. Whereas plants have those nice green or red or purple leaves that they use to glean and photosynthesize their food from the sun, remember that mushrooms aren't plants. Instead, they get their food by three means. Symbiosis saprophytism, and parasitism. Most mushrooms you come across hanging out on the forest floor, those are kicking it symbiotic style. The mycelium, or thread business of the mushroom beneath the ground, intertwine with the tree roots, and each provides the other with something they need. The mushroom helping the tree extract minerals and water from the soil, the tree feeding the mushroom some nice, tasty sugar compounds. Mushrooms you find on a lawn or rotting log, or log of more unsavory nature, those feast by means of saprophytism. In this method, the mushroom works to help in the decomposition process, digesting the organic matter and returning the nutrients to the soil. The last and most aggressive feeding method is parasitism, in which the mushroom, normally microscopic when feeding in this manner, will attach to a healthy host and just hang out. Just hang out. Not providing anything useful or killing the host, just being there. So all of that said, the process of mushrooms in helping to create a more green world is twofold. On the one hand, the second nutrient-gathering method, the saprophytism, it turns out is incredibly versatile when it comes to different mushroom species. Using the mushrooms in clever ways, they work on things such as potato peelings and compost materials, which, at a home level, is fine, but on a wide-scale level could be game-changing in terms of speeding up the degradation process of waste. But, even a step further, textiles, coffee cups and industrial waste can be broken down, and with the right fungi species, heavy metals like lead and arsenic and even radioactive waste are on the table. Beyond that, in 2011, there was a particular mushroom discovered in the Amazon that is able to degrade and break down polyester polyurethane by chowing down, and all any of the above species need are the food source, air, and water. The other fold of the fungi future is in the mycelium itself. When using a mold, these little strands will grow to fit any shape. They create products that are cheaper, more sustainable, and even outperform traditional construction materials in terms of fire safety standards. Additionally, the current mycelium technology spans the gamut from packaging, clothing, and even into scaffolding for growing organs. I've linked an article from Scientific American into the show's notes that goes into more detail if you're curious about the current mycelial movement. It's pretty fascinating and damn amazing, and goes to show that this humble planimal, that's plant and animal, I made it up just now, (laughs) is incredible in ways that we're really just starting to fully understand and utilize even after living alongside them from, well, at least our entire lives as a species. The final story I have for you this week takes a look at how mushrooms may have a hand in how we pass, and I don't just mean by poisoning. As I mentioned in the last story, there has been a boom in population. I can, in my lifetime, actively remember when the estimated number of people on the planet was half what it is now, which is kind of, if not hugely, Frightening if you think about it long enough. That said, it begs another issue that is easy to overlook unless you're really planning ahead. And that, my loves, is burials. According to a BBC article I found that had been written in 2015, cemeteries were running out of space, citing the Industrial Revolution as more people moved into urban areas thusly not being buried in small-town church graveyards anymore. At the point of the article's writing, the local cemeteries of two London boroughs had ceased providing services due to lack of space, and, according to a survey taken in 2013, nearly half of England's cemeteries would run out of space in the next 20 years. Where we stand today? The clock is down to 13, assuming the survey accounted for population trends. Now, getting buried, full, or at rest cremated, in any spot might not seem like the biggest deal. However, Dr. Julie Rugg from York University's Cemetery Research Group, which is a group I clearly need to know more about, brought up the points that distance can affect how often a family is able to visit the graves of loved ones, especially taking into account finances, resources, etc., and also, the splitting of family plots, when it may mean a lot to someone to be buried next to a spouse, mother, father, or child. On top of the space it takes, there is the price and effect that modern burial and cremation practices leave on the families and the earth. According to a New York Times article I pulled from 2018, the cost of an embalming, according to the National Funeral Directors Association, on average, at the time, reached upward of $8,500. Plus, all of those chemicals then seep into the ground, waterways, and are a danger to the morticians who work with them on the regular. An article published in the Berkeley Planning Journal found that 800,000 gallons of formaldehyde are put into the earth via dead bodies each year in the U.S. alone. That's one and a quarter Olympic-sized swimming pools a year of carcinogen. Among the cost and material usage of caskets and the like, it's no big surprise that more green options have been sprouting up. And some of those ways involve mushrooms. Now some of you may have heard of the mushroom death suit that made a big splash in 2011 via a viral TED Talk. This was a suit that one wears after death that is supposed to help the body naturally decompose, removing toxins, much quicker than it would normally. What had started as an art project with the message to promote the radical acceptance of death, the suit in action relied on a, quote, biomix of mushroom mycelium and other microorganisms to return the body to nature. It seemed with time... There began to be some questions arising around the suit, however. When Dr. Billy Campbell, the co founder of the first conservation burial ground in the U.S., gave it the once over, he pointed out that soil bacteria, insects, and nematodes would all naturally start the breakdown process of the body far sooner than mushrooms, saying it would be, quote, difficult to design a better system than nature already has. Additionally, There already exist current green alternatives that do the exact same thing as the mushroom suit, such as being buried in a wicker casket, shroud, or even an earth-friendly urn, that are also much cheaper. The idea fundamentally being to keep the hand of humans as minimally on the process as possible while letting nature take over. Now that said, there is another way. In September of 2020, at a quiet ceremony in the Netherlands, the first burial took place using the Living Cocoon. While the name sounds like something that evokes a sci-fi horror flick, it is actually the product of loop, and it is a living coffin. While from first pass, it may appear to be a simple, white, almost concrete-esque rectangular box, It is actually constructed out of dried mycelium that goes into action as soon as it goes underground and finds moisture. The coffin itself absorbs into the soil in a month to six weeks, nourishing the ground around the body and helping to speed along the natural decomposition process. Additionally, it still allows families to bury their loved ones within the protective cocoon of a coffin as they return to the earth, should they find that meaningful. And I certainly do not judge the process that lies around what may matter to some during what is a sensitive and difficult time of passing for a loved one. I do, however, think that it's wonderful that there are more methods becoming available and accessible that keep the families and environment in mind. It is indeed a sort of magic that is housed within these little fungi and the capabilities they hold. Their past? their possibilities, and our future. And I, for one, am excited to see what lies down the road with these mysterious mycelium. you so so much for joining me for this week's journey of strange our 20th episode our bonus story over on the patreon tells the cautionary tale of a man who utilized mushrooms of the actual magic variety and experienced them taking hold of his body in an unexpected and somewhat horrifying way if you're curious about that and how to support this podcast, check out patreon.com slash rocket fox. And if you'll remember, I have the very exciting news that I have just added a brand spankin', emphasis on spankin', new tier for you, my podcast lovelies, which is just one dollar to get access to the bonus stories every week, as well as anything Fantastically Strange-related. As I may have mentioned once or twice, I write, research, edit, produce, and do all of the things myself. So first and foremost, just your listening means the world to me. But every bit of support helps as well. If you enjoy and want to leave a rating or review... I would be absolutely thrilled. But either way, it is always my biggest honor and pleasure to bring you stories of the strange each week. To visit Fantastically Strange online, check out fantasticallystrange.com, at fantastically strange on Instagram, and at fantasticoddpod on Twitter. And if you have any topics you'd like to see covered, any questions, comments, or... Just to say hi, shoot me an email at fantasticallystrange at rocketfox.com The amazing logo illustration was created by Constance Hermit, and the killer theme, Hey Dorothy, is by Cruise Machine. Thank you again so, so much, and I can't wait to see you next time. Soon.